0: We'll even let you stay seated for a while this time. How's that? It can be a good long while if you want. What do you think? How about if we open our Bibles to Matthew's Gospel? We're in Matthew chapter 2 this morning, by God's grace. And as you grab your Bible and and, and open to the New Testament, let me just remind you that this, this precious Word of God that you have in your hands or or in your app, Um, though it is in many parts that we call books, how many of you know God's book is one book, And, and it has one grand story, doesn't it, one great theme, and the theme is simply that God is remaking His world, and He's remaking His people through the work of His King. Jesus Christ. And so we see this theme no matter where we're at in the scriptures in some way. And this morning we will see it, I think, pretty clearly in Matthew chapter 2. This is the the vital message, though, of the Old Testament. Uh, it, It is the vital message of the New Testament. The king and his kingdom are promised in the Old. Uh, presented to us in the Gospels, like Matthew's Gospel, and then proclaimed in the rest of the New Testament. Have you heard this before? Of course. You remember the quote from Augustine, who, who said famously, in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the New Testament, the old is revealed. The Bible, God's book, has one great theme, all wrapped up in the work of our King, Jesus Christ. And wh- why do I mention this? Because you cannot be one who comes to the Bible, as some too do uh, these days, and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a New Testament person. I've really not much time for that Old Testament stuff, all that history and long funny names and stuff like that. I don't bother with all of that, that Old Testament history stuff. Listen, Matthew 2 uh, is all about... Your need and my need for that Old Testament history stuff. How many of you know our God keeps his promises? And he's made a lot of wonderful promises uh, and he's keeping every one of them. And Matthew will show us that now in chapter 2 of his gospel. God remaking his world uh, through the gospel does not begin in the gospels. It, It starts with the in the beginning of Genesis 1. And we've already seen in Matthew's gospel that he begins his account of the work of Christ with an echo of Genesis 1, doesn't he? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, he says. The entire gospel is to do with this new Genesis, this new beginning that God is working out through the work of Christ. And, and today, in Matthew 2, we're going to see that this new beginning, this, this new Genesis, if you will, of God, uh, requires for his people a new exodus, a new exodus. And I'm going to ask you in a few moments, so get ready for it, has there been an exodus in your life? Why is that funny? It's an inside joke. I mean that quite seriously. Have you heard the Spirit of God say to you, come out of your sin. Come out of your Egypt. Follow my son. Come to my kingdom. It turns out we're meant to think about these things. What was it? That Moses said to God's people, he said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. I pray you hear him this morning. Not so much me. I've heard all I've got to say. It's not that big a deal. What God says is a matter of eternal life and eternal perishing. Moses typified Christ. Israel, ancient Israel typified Jesus Christ in the exodus from Egypt. Why did Joseph and Mary flee to Egypt from Bethlehem? You say, I already know the answer. I, I, I read it every Christmas. An angel told them to. That's true. But even more so, says Matthew, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt I called my son. Let's just read that verse in its context, beginning with verse 13 in Matthew 2. Now, when the Magi had departed, when when the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. You recall uh, from your own reading of this text or from last week, if you were here last week, the the, the Magi uh, were these these wise men, these uh, astronomers, if you will, from ancient Persia, perhaps Babylon. Uh, But they knew the Hebrew Scriptures, didn't they? And and now they are divinely warned by God in a dream to avoid uh, returning to this murderous Herod the Great. And God leads them as God still leads people today. Do you realize God still leads people today? Leads them to do things they never would have thought of on their own. And he leads them by his word in the hands of the Holy Spirit. And the wisdom of these wise men is proven not just in their going to Bethlehem or toward Bethlehem, but in their obedience to the revealed will of God. Don't miss that. As, as familiar as you are with this account, don't miss the basic message that you see in these magi and in the experience of Joseph and Mary. God leads his people by his word and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You mean I am, I'm always going to get a dream like that and there's going to be an angel? At, no. But there will be an unction, won't there? In your conscience in response to the the word of God, which is sharp as a two-edged sword, so that there is clarity to you, as a follower of Jesus, what on earth it is you're to do. And it will always be in a manner that's consistent with his word. And you are wise, not just to know that, you're wise if you do, if you go where the Lord tells you to go. Now, that's not even part of the sermon. That's just for free, right? The sermon hasn't even started yet. That's the last we know of the wise men, but I, you notice that, that Joseph also is warmed. He's visited once more from an angel in a dream, and he's warmed to flee, to Beth, flee from Bethlehem to Egypt down south. And we notice that just like with the Magi, uh, Joseph is not only a just man, Joseph himself is a wise man. How do we know that? He actually does what God tells him to do. He's not somebody who just knows, he's somebody who goes. I wonder this morning, are you someone who knows, or are you also someone who goes? It's very possible, again, we haven't started yet. It's very possible that there are some here in this room right now and your conscience is testifying to you. You know, you've been hearing this for a long time now. Isn't it time for you to obey the revealed will of God? We'll come back to that. What we learn from the Magi, as well as now Joseph and Mary, is simply this. Faith in God is expressed in obedience to God's leading. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Don't quench the spirit by knowing without going. How many of you are glad this morning that there are some who are going to Canyon Community Church where a whole bunch of little kids need to know about Jesus and so do their parents? How many of you are glad that we've got a group that's going to go do the hard work of hitting their thumbs with hammers and getting splinters and all that kind of stuff, building up a camp so kids can hear the message of our king and his kingdom? What a blessing it is when when God's people go. So, So off to Egypt go Joseph and Mary and their little boy, our king. Jesus. And and you got to ask yourself, well, how how in the world does a poor young couple like Joseph and Mary afford a trip to Egypt, let alone a lengthy stay? We don't know how long, but 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 it wasn't a day trip, put it that way. How would they afford such a thing? Well, some Gentiles had just given them a bundle of gold and frankincense and myrrh. It's almost as if that had been planned out ahead of time. Do you notice that? How amazing. What what, what another application then? And again, sermon hasn't started yet, but but what do you see? God always supplies the life into which he leads his people. And some of us might be holding back. We know we would go, but how's that going to work out? How could that possibly be? God's leading in my life. How many of you know he always supplies what he calls his people to do. In the history of Hayden Bible Church, there is a history of all sorts of stuff going on that we didn't plan, and it's a history of God providing every single thing he calls his people to do. The only limit to that is us. Well, let's start the message then. I want you to notice with me some Old Testament parallels to what we've just read in Matthew's gospel. Remember, it's all, it's all one book, right? It's all, all one big, grand, wonderful theme. It's to do with Jesus. Way back in Genesis, then, how did the Hebrew people end up in Egypt in the first place? You remember that? Remember reading about that? Yep. You're familiar with that, are you? Uh, another Joseph, how interesting, um, Jacob's kid says Genesis 39, had been sold into slavery by his own brothers. And then through what you and I call circumstance, which we should call providence, um, Joseph just sort of ends up in Egypt, doesn't he? And and along the way, and in Egypt, Joseph at first suffered all manner of abuse there, but, but God was with him. Every step of the way, God was with him. And God's providence was such that Joseph ended up uh, Pharaoh's right-hand man, didn't he? I mean, he he had everything at his beck and call but for the title Pharaoh, did Joseph. And he was there and influential uh, just in time to rescue his family. The same dirtbag brothers who had sold him into slavery now need to go to Egypt to get away from a famine. Joseph had been informed of God that this famine would occur and prepared for it. Again, obedience. The point of this is that God initially used Egypt as a place of refuge for his people. How interesting. What's happening in Matthew 2? God using Egypt as a place of refuge for his Israel, his king. Here in Matthew 2, Egypt once again is that place of refuge. Though though we're thousands of years later in first century Palestine, there is now Herod the king who threatens to kill Yahweh's king, the Lord's anointed, Jesus, but God intervenes. And one of the things that I wondered about this past week is whether... Mary's Joseph realized that his very life was a dramatic repeat of what was pictured in the lives of his ancestors and Mary's ancestors. I kind of think so, don't you? Mary's Joseph could have well have said what wicked men intended for evil. God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. What, what an echo of the, the tail end of the book of Genesis. How many people are to be saved alive? Well, what was Joseph told? Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. How many of his people? Every last one of them. you still listening? Now, let's think about this. In the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the New Testament, the old is revealed. Let's see if that's true. Back in the Old Testament account of Israel in Egypt, uh, what had once been a place of refuge um, became for God's ancient people a place of bondage, didn't it? A place of cruel slavery. For 400 years, God's people, Israel, served cruel taskmasters in Egypt. And what did sinful man do under the influence of Satan? Well, a wicked Pharaoh, uh, still called Pharaoh, um, ordered the young male babies in the land to be slaughtered, didn't he? But God raised up a deliverer, Moses, who would be sent to lead his people out of their bondage in Egypt. And how was Moses... Spirit, He's miraculously rescued, isn't he? An ark, and it's floating in the water, and, and somebody just happens to find him, Pharaoh's daughter, right? How can that not remind us then of another baby boy miraculously spared from slaughter? You see, Matthew is being very deliberate in the telling of the story of our king. It's a New Exodus that is happening here. Look at verse 16 of Matthew 2. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So God spares his son, his Israel, once again, as Joseph and Mary whisk away their baby boy, Jesus, out of Palestine. Just as Herod's thugs show up and start killing, killing with the sword, little ones, little ones. What an echo of Israel's past. Look at, look at verses 17 and 18. Then, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Israel's mourning at the time of the Babylonian exile, you read about this in Jeremiah 31, um, typified what is now happening in Bethlehem in Matthew 2. That phrase... um, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord, is repeated four times just in Matthew 2. So there is this constant echo of the beginning of history in this new beginning of history for God's people in the work of Christ. If you have your Bible, just stare at it for a moment instead of looking at me. There's a better view anyway. Look at verse 5. For thus it is written by the prophet... Okay, and then verse 15, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Now now verse 17, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet. Okay, again and again, says Matthew, God is keeping his promise to bring a deliverer, one like Moses. Oh, but so much better than Moses. Who will lead his people out of their Egypt? Once more, it crops up in the closing verses of Matthew 2. Look at verse 19. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose took the young child and his mother, came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Archelaus, Herod's kid, Uh, was just as bad, if not worse, than his daddy. And Joseph knew this and decides upon obeying the Lord, notice that trend again, to end up in Nazareth. And in verse 23, it says prophets, plural, doesn't it? And yet, if you search your Old Testament, you won't find a verse that says exactly that. Why why does it say prophets instead of prophets? Because Jesus being called a Nazarene is not the fulfillment of a particular prophecy. It is the fulfillment of various prophecies, though, that the Messiah would be despised, would be disregarded, and would even be disbelieved. What are are people going to start saying with respect to Jesus? Can anything good come from Nazareth? In fact, he can't be the Messiah, this son of the carpenter, because he's from Nazareth. Oh, no, 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 not not so fast, says Matthew. Jesus, the Messiah, was born in Bethlehem, just as the prophets foretold. But God's good providence sent him early in life to Nazareth. And what, what do we know the prophets said about the Messiah? Listen to Isaiah 53. He has no form or comeliness. But wait a minute, this is the king. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Why? Because he's a Nazarene. He's from some backwater town, known for its rough and tumble living, so uncivilized compared to the places of Judea, Jerusalem in particular. It's almost as if this whole episode in Matthew 2 has been scripted by God throughout the centuries. Don't you think? And it's because it has been. And Matthew wants us to see that. God really is recreating his world and his people through the work of his king. Who is the king? The king is Jesus. And for his people to be saved, his people must follow him in this new exodus. I told you I was going to bring that up again, didn't I? What prophet foretold that Jesus would leave Egypt? Well, some of you were here when we were studying the book of Hosea. That wasn't all that long ago, was it? Anybody remember that? Please tell me you remember that. Okay, a couple of you. And you remember Hosea, God's prophet, is told to marry a woman of of ill repute. Gomer was... A whore and God says I know that Hosea you marry her anyway because you're going to be a living example of my loyal love for my people because my people have gone whoring in fact their whole history is a history of their whoring their unfaithfulness and so Hosea marries Gomer as you know And toward the end of the book of Hosea, God says through the prophet, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. God is using the prophet Hosea to remind his people of his loyal love for them in getting them out of Egypt, their bondage. And now Matthew says, you know what? That prophecy is now being amplified. Not just repeated. Amplified in Christ coming out of Egypt. Hosea refers to, or God refers to Israel as his son. And here in Matthew, we we read of Jesus, who is God's son, God's Israel. Why did Jesus leave Egypt? That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. You see, in the gospel, a new exodus is underway. And if the gospel has any meaning for you personally, it's only because by God's grace you're a part of this new exodus. You're not still in Egypt. You've left Egypt You've left bondage to sin and Satan. And you're following a deliverer, a king, whose name is Jesus. And what does this Jesus do? Call him Jesus, he will save, he will save. who? His people, every last one of them, from their sins. He's taken them out of Egypt, see. Day after day, year after year, by nature, you and I serve this cruel taskmaster, don't we? Living for self, living according to our own wisdom, living for our own pleasures, and sometimes we dress it up in religion, but our conscience tells us what it really is. It's not loyalty to God. We're that way by nature. Apart from grace, that's who we are. Stuck in Egypt. Slaves. But the king has come. And this new exodus is underway, says Matthew. God's Israel, Jesus, has come to do what ancient Israel did not do. What you and I cannot do apart from grace Matthew is going to show us that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days yet did not sin and that should remind us of something we've read before what did Israel do wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years doing nothing but sin what what, what a contrast how did Jesus do this you say "Well, well he was God and he is God that's true But listen, Jesus was led by the Word of God by the Spirit of God, wasn't he? Do you realize that Jesus in his humanity walked in the Spirit? You ever think about that? Moment by moment, day after day, choosing to live under the influence of the Spirit of God? Our Deliverer has done this for us. So unlike us, Swift and thorough obedience was his very nature. Jesus kept God's word and obeyed the Spirit's leading. And I, I dare not even ask a rhetorical question. Have you done that? Is your life a record of swift and thorough obedience to the word of God, the will of God? You, you've only lived by the leading of the Spirit? No. No. Me either. Me either. But what a gospel this is, says Matthew. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Jesus is the true Israel, isn't he? God the Son is the king that leads his kingdom people from bondage to sin and separation from God's best. He, he gets us out of Egypt. Have you, have you surrendered to this King? You say, well, I, I, I raised my hand at church once. They asked me to, so I did. I'm not asking you that. I, I actually walked up the aisle and said a prayer. That's a good thing to do. But I'm not asking you that either. I'm asking you who you're following. Who's your king? I'm asking you, are you still in Egypt? Or have you been led out of Egypt? That's the thing. You still listening? Jesus, the scripture says, came in the likeness of men, Philippians 2, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Oh, what a, what a reminder. That swift and thorough obedience to the will of God at times leads to a cross doesn't it and it did for jesus so that he might shed his blood and pay the price to ransom his people from egypt the writer of hebrews says for it was fitting for him jesus for whom are all things and by whom are all things jesus is god In bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Think about this. Who are these many sons being brought to glory through the work of the king? Well, if Jesus is Israel personified, uh, then all who are in Christ are God's sons, right? All who are in Christ are God's daughters, his true Israel. What a gospel this is. Think about this. Matthew's first readers, first hearers, were Jewish Christians. And how this would have affirmed for them from their own history God keeping his promise to send a deliverer, a messiah. From, from, with, from, from the descendants of their own people. But this Messiah is a, is a son of Abraham, Matthew has said. They see all these Gentiles joining the people of God. It's starting to creep them out. Because this had been a Jewish thing, and now it's more a Gentile thing by numbers. Oh, but what was God's promise to Abraham? There will be a multitude blessed people from all the nations will be blessed god had said and so it's happening what a what a wonder this is this this little phrase out of egypt i called my son now we could stop there and it is 10:30 and i think you know that's not how this is going to work don't you? you you there was there was hope in your eyes for just a second there No, we're just about done. But if we stop at this point, listen, we don't want this just to be kind of an interesting history lesson. I can see that on some of your faces even. Why are are we rehashing all this Exodus stuff? I think I heard this before. What a horrible thing it would be to not... Apply it to our own lives. Remember, it's not about knowing, it's about going. So so what are we to do with this, this echo of the exodus in Christ? Well, let's just test it out. God leads his people by his word and the promptings of the Spirit. I wonder, are any here today hearing in their conscience It's time for you to get out of Egypt. You've been here a long time. Serving yourself. Living day by day. Knowing you're not square with God. Living under the burden of sin. And it hasn't made a hill of beans to your conscience that you're hanging out with the Jesus people. It's not to do with that. And God says to you today in his word, I've sent a deliverer to bring you out of that place and to bring you to safety and you bring you into my best. Will you not turn to Christ? The king's people are those who leave Egypt and give their allegiance to him. Matthew and his gospel will use different words to describe that. In the very next chapter, the word will be repentance. But that's what repentance is, isn't it? Is getting out of Egypt by the power of the Spirit of God and following Christ as king. Who's your king? What was it that Yahweh had said to Egypt's Pharaoh way way back when he said this? Thus says the Lord, Israel my son, my firstborn, uh, Israel is my son, my firstborn, so I say to you, let my son go. And and wouldn't it be just like God to be doing that right now among a group of people like this today, saying to Satan, let my son go. Let my daughter go. She's mine. He's mine. How many of you can say from your heart today, there is no greater privilege than for me to be an adopted son or an adopted daughter of God? Sin's curse really has lost its grip on me. I don't just sing that on Sundays. That's true by God's grace. But that's not all God had said to Pharaoh, is it? Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me, that he may serve me. Israel messed that up. Jesus didn't. He came only to do the will of the Father. And in the power of the Spirit, he indwells his people, enabling us to do what? Serve God. Saved to serve. The kingdom way is a life of worship and service to the king. And and it it's not an easy way, is it? It led Jesus to the cross. But it's the only way to life. Difficult is the way that leads to life, says Jesus. But be encouraged, God always supplies the life that he calls his people to. You don't even have to worry about it. Throughout human history, the enemy of souls has made war against the Lamb of God and his people. And what does the Bible say? The Lamb will overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. That's the end of the book, isn't it? A new beginning. A new exodus culminating in this. Loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. What a gospel this is. Okay, that's it. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this reminder of the beginning and the Exodus because they help us understand what you're doing in the gospel. Lord, I thank you so much for your obedience to the Father to the point of going to that cross to ransom us, to bring us out of Egypt. And Lord, I pray that if there are any here who came here today still captive to the enemy of souls Jesus that you in your power would set that person free Lord we thank you that you are a strong deliverer that you have come to save every one of your people and Lord I pray that as kingdom people Lord give us grace give us volition Um, knowledge, ability, all of that, Lord, not native to us. Give us what you'd have us have that we might serve your kingdom, that we might be a people of worship toward our king. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name.